You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and let me just cut to the chase. You asked for it and we answered. This episode features a follow-up conversation with former Olympic hopeful and financial consultant Tyrone Ross Jr. So if you are completely new to the podcast or you've skipped ahead a few episodes, you might be wondering who in the world Tyrone is. Do yourself a favor and press pause on this episode and go back to episode 30. You will understand why we are doing a part two. Now, one of the reasons I love doing this show is that it gives me an opportunity to present a variety of perspectives. But one of the recurring themes on the show is therapy. If you listen regularly, you know that I am a huge proponent of therapy, and we've discussed it with a couple of different guests. In particular, Jeff Lindor in episode 15 talks about his experience with therapy. Now, Tyrone offers a different perspective. I won't give it away, but let's just say I enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did the first one. So without further ado, please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Tyrone Ross Jr., welcome back to the December 26th podcast. I'm back. And back like two weeks later. That's the crazy part, right? Unbelievable. I've spoken to other guests like, oh, you should come back and do a part two. Like, But I'm talking like way in the future. Um, You're the first return guest. <laughs> but the... The feedback from the episode that we recorded, episode 30, has been overwhelming, to say the least. And people were asking for this, like, where's the rest of the story? (laughs) I have questions. We want to hear more. Um, So it prompted us to go ahead and make this happen. Yeah, that's what I was telling people. I said, the crazy thing is we started at 16, right? My life. Yes. My childhood was even crazier. But we got to get right to it. What the people really want to know is, have you hired a publicist? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So little known fact about me is that I love being a vessel to like put other people on display, but I am someone who does not need to be in the spotlight. I've been shoved into it my entire life. I have confidence there and I'm able to do it, but I'm, you know, some people like need that adulation and like all that stuff. I'm not that person, man. Well, y'all need to, y'all need to <laughs> vote on a part three where I interview Delisha. How about that? We can make it happen. Yeah, we can make it happen. A favor. If the producer's down for that, he gave the <laughs> thumbs up. So, but listen, after the response from this episode, I'm realizing sometimes you have to get out of your own way. And when you are inspired to do something and you're passionate about it and involves helping others, you got to do your part to spread the spread the word and get the message out there, too. So I'm learning it's not a, about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the work. Um, but, yeah, I've been getting the questions like people are like, who is this person? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, No, right away. It's very important for me. I, literally, I don't know how many people commented about I even joked with you, you know, mm-hmm. text of who is she? Oh, you did such a wonderful job. So people want to see you. They want to hear more from you. Like, this is your moment. I'm going to you know? get over myself. Yeah, you got to seize it because, you know, like I said, I'm going to try and get you on social media when it's a date. Listen, that's the next, that's the next plan. We're going to have the meeting about my next, the next phase of fi- my financial life and my presence on social media. Yeah, but no, honestly, <laughs> even listening back myself, I mean, you made it very easy um, to tell a story. And, uh, and and just open up. So I appreciate that. I appreciate it. And I'll just say this, you know, 
when I was a litigator as an attorney, I hated it. I hated it so much. I was good at it, but I did not enjoy it. I didn't like the adversarial nature of it. I didn't like all the paper, um, the deadline driven, you know, sort of hostile environment that it creates. But having that conversation with you last week, it was a full circle moment for me. It sort of come out in the podcast before then. But one of the things you learn how to do in litigation is drive a conversation and, and get people to go where you want them to go or need them to go by asking the right questions. Um, so it just reminded me that every part of your story is helping helping you to become the person that you're supposed to be, 100%. you know, for what you've been called to do on this earth. So it was a humbling experience for me to be reminded, like even the chapters that I didn't particularly enjoy and I thought I was doing it because I had to. Um, no, it, it served a purpose. And, and those skills are, are transferable. I'm learning having these conversations with people yeah, like you. So I'm deeply grateful. Absolutely. Same. And grateful to you for coming back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. So what we've we've touched a little bit on the the aftermath of the episode. But I, I will tell you, when when I walked out that night, I looked at DeMarcus, our producer, and I said, that was something special. I was like, this is this is going to be a tipping point. I could feel it. And then the night before the episode came out, I could not sleep. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait. Like, I just I, and then from that day, from that Tuesday morning, the episode dropped at like three o'clock in the morning or something to this one. Every hour, the stats are increasing and this to see the people who have shared it and latched onto yeah. your story especially men and even for you young men as you've shared with 100. me um it has been amazing yeah. so what has it been like for you it's it's literally been overwhelming like i that that's all i could say i mean i've i've been responding to every single post every single retweet every text message email it's just been completely overwhelming emotionally exhausted mm -hmm. um, because you realize that you take on so many different stories from people and you hear what people are going through. Um, but I think for me, I think it was kind of the same thing. When I left, I knew it was something different. Mm -hmm. like, there's something here. And I wanted to be very transparent with people when I posted it. I said, listen, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. I want this to get into the hands of people who need it, right? Who need a kind word and to understand. And as, as I text you during the week, is I had no idea that men were going to right. respond to it and be so, you know, so drawn to it the way they have. And literally, the amazing thing is we all come from different walks of life. Mm -hmm. But there were so many people who was like, I don't really, there's something in there that I can attach myself to that I've been through. Um, and so it's just, it's been overwhelming. I listened to it with my mom. Wow. So the episode drops. I'm excited. I get back from working out. I go to get in the shower, start my day. I'm excited. I'm like, I got my whole little social media. <laughs> right. I'm going to post a LinkedIn to show. And my mother calls. And she's like, your dad is in the hospital. Wow. Now, even more backstory, because I have to be transparent. Me and my dad had a bad fight before I left to go to San Diego for a little break. And I hadn't spoken to my family since I've been back. I spoke to my mom, but not to my dad and we still got to go through and fix that. And I had I rushed to the hospital and um, I saw him and we spoke and a whole bunch of tests that needed to be done. He's all right now. But mm -hmm. um, so while he was away getting all the tests, I sat and listened to the podcast with my mom. And my mother got that good church knee. You know what I mean? <laughs> we know about that yeah, church when, knee. You know, when, when she's getting nervous or she's going to cry or something like that. And she had that literally for the whole hour. And then she looked at me and she's like, son, I had no idea that you went through all of that. And that was one piece. And then the other piece was 
And and I'll say it. She's like, I hope your father's side of the family doesn't hear this because there was a lot of stuff in there that people didn't know. But I was like, you know what? Let them hear it. They needed to hear. Right. right? And I'm like, you know, I'm proud of my father. Like I said, hold a job 40 years, can't read and write. You kidding me? Mm -hmm. And whoever would have a problem with that, you know, my, my grandmother, his mother's not here anymore. But when I got kicked out of college, she told him he's, he's going to end up just like you. Right. That's what she said. That's right? heavy. You know, it was heavy when I found that out. And, I, and you know, I love my brain. She, we, we got through it. But that was kind of the thing that there was a lot of stuff that going on there. And like I said, we didn't even talk about mm-hmm. my childhood and all of that. But so and I told and I was like, Mom, you know what? This is this needs to happen. And it was one of those things that. And, and there was, you know, I didn't go deep into stuff. There was stuff that there was more details there. But but it, but the end of it, I think it just from her to really close friends, family, everybody was just like they learned so much. Right. And I shared a lot of it with you. Um, and there were so many things that I like I said, I couldn't share. But because I just wanted to protect people's, you know, um, messages that they sent. But it's been completely overwhelming. And I'm and, and, and the thing is, I, I want everybody to understand this. For one, I'm grateful. But two, for everybody who took the time to reach out, do understand you're helping me heal. Mm-hmm. Like, that was cathartic. Um, and I did break down and I was emotional sometimes. But, but, but again, it just you realize now getting it out and telling the story is helping me. Right. All the way around. It's just been a blessing. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us grew up in environments. It's a cultural thing, like what happens in this house stays in this oh, house. Right. Oh. So um, and then when you tack on some modicum of success to that and, you know, having a quote image that you want to put out into the world and that crosses racial lines, our knee jerk is to not really put our own business on Front Street in that way yeah. um, and not unpack that pain publicly, which I totally get and I totally understand. But what I can appreciate about our conversation and the feedback that we've gotten is that it's given people f- feeling like, you know, they're empowered to tell their own story as well and share their pain because, you know, we've all got all this stuff that we're carrying, but somehow think that we're the only one yeah. um, that has the struggle and the pain. And as a woman talking to other women who are married or in long term relationships and telling me it helped me understand a little bit better my husband yeah. or my partner. That, that to me was. Yes, because I'm realizing he's got a lot of stuff that has not been dealt with. And that's what's driving his behavior. Um, And I could do a whole other episode on just the dynamic between black women and black men. And I think we spend a lot of time not understanding each other Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and not really having sensitivity to the fact that we both come in with a lot of trauma and a lot of baggage that may not have been addressed. And now trying to love someone else through. Yeah their unresolved pain, you know? So um, it, it gave me a lot to think about and a, a lot of offshoots that we can do from just yeah, one conversation. Absolutely. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Say, what's wrong with being a gynecologist, ladies? Listen, man. Okay. <laughs> Let's not go into that. I'm just, I just had to address it. I'm just saying, I, I think it's the fact that you didn't say, I want to be a gynecologist and like, I was all about my studies and like, oh. I, you know, it, you didn't go in talking about you, you know, were struggling in organic chem. That's true. You said you were not going to class. Yeah. <laughs> so. I just needed some clarity. You know, just the story that you told about your MO. Okay. At Georgia Tech, along with wanting to be a gynecologist. <laughs> it was a bit of a prototype. I'm not going to lie. Right. You know, so I think that's why. So, but, but between that and then the Waffle House comment. Yeah. You know, people, women had a lot to say about both of them. Ladies, listen. Thousand <laughs> dollar Waffle House wedding. You spend all the 99000 on a honeymoon in the crib. But 
Think about it. Yeah, Tyrone and I had a, a, a conversation about this <laughs> post-episode, okay? As I have said on this podcast, I'm all about money management. I'm not flashy. So I'm I'm with not spending six figures on a wedding. But I has, I proposed right. a dinner party. I mean, we could find other ways to save money. Waffle House truck. <laughs> truck at the reception, I'm good. <laughs> we'll negotiate. All right. Well, well, you know, we could talk about that more. Absolutely. But I, I, I don't know any woman who's going to go for the Waffle House thing. But, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm single, I guess. <laughs> so, but you know what? So we had put the, we put the call out to the, the audience and said, hey, give us your questions. Because I know people were like, had certain things that they wanted us to unpack and yeah. areas that they wanted us to get into. Um, but before we go there, because you have alluded to your childhood, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like how it all started. Because some of the things that you mentioned about getting to college at 17 and the things that happened there, I'm sure they were foundational experience in your in your life that drove you to that behavior once you got to Georgia Tech. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Um, as I as I explain to people and, and I say, I mean, I, I really grew up without a permanent address. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't ha- I couldn't invite people over. Um, and my first I, I put it this way and I, I say this to clients. And, and when I speak all the time is that my first experience or, you know, just, I, I guess, yeah, just like the experience with money mm-hmm. strife. Um, and it was, it was a really, it, it's funny. So again, so just to, just to set the framework for people. So again, right. So my mother had my, my sister at 17. My dad comes from Guyana, mm-hmm. right. Meets my mom. Pretty cool story about how they met, which is funny, but we can, you know, get into that another time. But so they meet my mother again is one of 12. My father's one of 27. Which is still so crazy to me. (laughs) Right? So big families or whatever. So my father basically tells my mother, look, I'm going to take you out of your mother's house. We got to figure this out. So they get a place. And again, you know, they, they, my mother was on welfare. My father was like, you know, struggling to work. He finally got a job to get the job that he held. And we were living. So the way it worked was when my mother grew up was essentially the projects, but it was like divided by this fence. And then is this in Jersey? Yes, yeah, in okay. Jersey, and we were right on the other side of that, which is like a nicer development. And that's kind of where, you know, I first have some childhood memories of dancing on the porch, trying to be Michael Jackson. <laughs> but um, but that's what I remember. But previous to that, when I was really small, they were in a, a smaller apartment. They were struggling, as I mentioned, um, you know, with me and my sister. And they some often would go to bed hungry, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I remember where me and my sister would be home, you know, alone a lot because my parents would have to work a couple of jobs. And then we left there. And then we went to, you know, um, Piscataway for those in New Jersey. I was saying we were there. Then we were in Edison mm-hmm. and it was an issue with my mom and my dad. And I was with my dad for a bit. And that's when I, you know, the experience with the, you know, with the bags and all yeah. that stuff. Um, so it was just pillar to post, pillar to post, right? Um, you know, cars we possessed, coming home and the lights are off, right? I remember being home as a kid and just banging on the door, right? And you're like, what in the world is going on? And this, you look and it's a, it's a landlord and mm-hmm. sheriff. You're like, what in the world? You know, you get everything you can get and get out, right? And I'm like, uh, I'm the only one here, you know, and, and that's trauma. Right. right. Like, what in the world? What do I do? So um, it's, it's so many different things. So by the time, you know, and, and it's funny, the only and I guess I could say this now, too. But when I was in my high school, I didn't live in a town 
that I went to school in. A lot of people have that story. Everybody know that, mm-hmm. right? And, and that was, again, my parents being, right, that was that was their, you know, light bulb coming on um, because it, it took me out of the situation where I was, you know, in Piscataway and then allowed me to go to school in the touching. And that's where I met my track coach and, you know, ended up running track and so on and so forth. So I just remember moving around a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like I say, lights off, you know, no heat, this, that, whatever. It just, it was just a lot. So for me, it just started to frame this. It started to to cultivate this. I don't know this. I don't know what the best way to put it, but it, I, I started to get a little fearful, mm-hmm. right? And and I started to live my life that way. I didn't want to do anything because I'm like, is this is this permanent, right? Is this right. last, right? So again, that again, something that you carry forward as an adult. Um, and I started running track, and then you know, I said my my track coach helped out. He knew the situation. I was honest with him. He bought me my first pair of spikes. He drove me to Pennsylvania, bought me my first pair of spikes on a late night. So that's when I started to get you know, the the reality that college could become a possibility. Right. Or that it wasn't really, it wasn't addressed, it wasn't spoken about. So going, you know, going to that, and not to mention, and, and this is one of the things that I didn't mention also, I was raped at 15, right? Wow. So, which my mother didn't know until I told her recently with this episode. So that was another thing that happened when we were in Piscataway, right? Um, and again, now as a, as a as a man, I didn't realize it. I'm like, men don't get raped. Not by women. Right. But I got like, she raped me. I wanted to go home. I was a I was a 15-year-old boy with an older woman. I wanted to go home. Mm-hmm. She locked the doors. She did the whole thing. So there was so many different things going on in my life when I was younger. And I'm like, and it's funny, everyone has been, you know, saying recently, like I said from the last episode, like, well, I was only from, I'm like, the stuff when I was younger. Now I don't want to make it seem like again, I want to I want to frame this. My perspective, there's People who had a way worse. And mm-hmm. they were, they, everything wasn't terrible. But what I realized was, again, there were so many things happening to me that I couldn't process. Right. Right. I, I just couldn't. Right. I couldn't I couldn't put them into perspective. My sister was out of the house. Right. Um, and, you know, I, re- I have really young memories with my sister, but she was, you know, the streets raised my sister. Mm-hmm. Two totally different people. If you meet me and meet her. Two totally different people. But so she was out of the house a lot. And it was a lot of drama because, again, my dad is not her dad. Okay. So there was that whole thing there. And then you had in the Caribbean father who wants you to dust and clean. (laughs) He wasn't hearing that. Um, And, you know, again, what is it? I probably was 14 years old. I I watched her boyfriend pull a gun on my father. I was standing right behind. Brought her home to get clothes and he pulled a gun. He was going to kill my father. I'm standing right behind him as a kid. I'm seeing it. And he was like, you going to let her in the house to get her stuff. Because my father, you can't, you're not going to use, this is not a, you know. And I'm standing behind my dad and I'm looking down the barrel of this gun with him. And I'm like, this is going to happen right in front of me. So again, all of these different things to unpack, you don't realize what that means. Now, also, when I was younger, I had a horrible relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. Horrible. So it was so many different things because I saw him and my mother fighting. Right. And I'm, I'm a boy, I'm close to my mother, and I see him and my mother fighting. So all of these things just started to, you know, it was it was just no no certainty. Nothing was for certain. I didn't trust. It was it was 
it was crazy. And now here I am, I get into school, I'm going to school. I don't really relate to any of these kids who, you know, have it all, right? You go to their house, they got snacks. Right. You can sleep over. And yeah, you know, I'm like, this is, this is right. Um, and then I started to come into my own as an athlete. And that's when things kind of changed a bit. But I was still, and, and to piggyback on last week, I think that's the point where, and, and, I'm, and I mentioned this on social media, sometimes growth can impede growth, right? So I was growing in the area of my life where I discovered my talent, mm -hmm. but I grew faster than I was growing internally. Right. And my surroundings were changing faster than I can catch up. So when I got to Georgia Tech, I was like, this is just, none of this makes sense to me. Right. right? So I was just like, all right, well, I just won't go to school. I'll do all these other things. But again, go back to everything that I just said, it kind of framed all of that. Mm -hmm. So when I was there doing all those crazy things, that's why I had no respect for money. Right. I had I didn't think anything was lasting. I was like, all right, well, I have a talent. That's what got me here. So, you know, it wasn't something that I had planned on and I wasn't I wasn't prepared. Um, and to no and to no one's fault, it was, it was my track coach did the best he could, but I just wasn't prepared. And then it just start to it started to compound. And then you started to see those things manifest as a, as a man. Right. Well, I should, I should say as a man because I wasn't a man yet. But as I got older. And I just started to do crazy stuff. I mean, I, I just, you know, again, crazy with money. I mean, I lost my license. I don't know how many times, you know, license suspended. I, I was doing all types of reckless stuff. Um, and again, now piecing it all together, it all started with those things that I experienced as a youngster. You know? Yeah, I mean, based on what you were saying, I count a number of traumatic experiences because, you know, oftentimes if you don't understand what trauma is, people think trauma is I saw my mother get killed. Right. right. Or in your case, you know, I saw someone pull a gun on my my father. Yeah. But trauma is as a child being uprooted. Right. Not having stability in the home. All of those things Yo. contribute. Yeah. Right. They make up your experience and often contribute to some of the deficits you may have if, yeah. if that stuff is not dealt with. But I do want to address the sexual assault yeah. for a moment. Did you tell anyone nope. at the time? No one. No one knew until probably two years ago. Really? So you just carried that? I carried it. No one knew. Because I, I, I didn't think it was a thing. Right. How did you end up in that situation? So I went to... Uh, I don't even remember. It was like prom. I went somewhere with her. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to go. And it was it's funny. It was a thing about her being older than me. And... I went and, you know, it was a, it was like, OK, you know, and my parents were never, you know, overbearing. You know, I, I mean, I started I started DJing at 13 years old and I used to be doing parties late night. You know, you were DJing yeah, at 13, yeah, DJing 13. My cousin took me to see Juice and I came home and I begged my parents for DJing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and and I was, you know, I was a fairly successful DJ and I used to be out doing parties and stuff late night and all that. I had older cousins who, you know, protected me and all that. But so they had no problem letting me stay out. And we were driving back and she pulled into this park. And I'm like, this ain't my house, you know. And she got in the back seat and I'm like, this ain't my house. You know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to go home. And I, I'm a 15 year old boy. Right. I'm like, I want to go home. And she's like, no. And she locked the doors and then she just started pulling on me. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like literally scratching me, pulling on me. I'm like, what is happening right now? And it was it was crazy. I mean, it was unprotected. I mm -hmm. mean, it was everything about it was just wrong. And and I, I remember getting home and I felt and it's so funny when you hear women talk about how they feel gross. Right. I felt disgusting. Like I just I couldn't wash it off. 
And again, it was one of those things that I just tucked away. And now fast forward to, and I will say this as any woman who has ever had any type of relation with me, I've always led the conversation in a sexual manner. Okay. The relationship in a sexual manner. Because I'm like, well, that's all you want from me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that time. They always used to say it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But I was very driven that way. And it was like, there's, you know, there's so more, so much more to you. What do you, you know, right. know what my mother was saying, you're more than a runner. What do you, you know? So I didn't understand it again, but I had that so packed away. And it's funny. I remember, I don't, again, I don't remember the day of the week, whatever. But I, I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm sitting on the floor and I'm like reading. And I'm like, I forget what I was reading. I'm like, I was right. Right. I had to admit it. And I'm like, this has messed me up. Mm-hmm. This has completely affected my relationship with women since then. And I had, I was like, I got to get right with it. I got to sit with it. I got to, you know, start to talk about it as I did with everything else. And then, and, and then it was just, I was like, wow. Yeah. You know? And, you know, people will hear this story. There are men who will hear this story and say, oh, man, that's every teenage boy's dream. Right. You, you see it when, you know, yeah. men come out with sexual stories of sexual assault. The responses online are cringeworthy yeah. because there is a gender divide. Like if that happened to a 15 year old girl, nobody would question that. Yeah. But a 15 year old boy that, you know, people consider that, quote, bragging rights. Right. And to since you brought up, you know, conversations with women, I talk to, you know, my female friends a lot. And those of us who are single, one of the complaints mm-hmm. that we discuss often is when men make everything about sex. Yeah. But we look at it as, you know, they're just unrefined. They're crass. You know, I won't use some of the words that yeah, we yeah. use on here. <laughs> but, you know, we're just angry and we just write, write the situation off as mm-hmm. like they're just unwilling to get to know us. And, you know, they, they only see us for one thing. I If I met you and you came to me that way, I would never think, well, maybe he's had some experiences that right. that may make him behave this way. I would ne- that would not be my knee jerk yeah. reaction yeah. at all. So yeah. you're opening my eyes as well yeah. to just like there are things that affect women's approach to intimacy. Right. There are a lot of men out there dealing with the same thing. And I, and I want to be very clear. Right. And <clears throat> I had the cheat code because my life fell completely apart. Mm-hmm. I had no choice but to examine all of these things about myself. If you don't ever get to that point, it's easy to mask it with money and success and trips and vacations and kids and weddings and all that other stuff. And you never really get deep into what is wrong with you. So the fact that I didn't have kids and I didn't have, you know, a, a, a wife or any of those things, I was able to literally sit by myself and examine everything that is wrong with me. Like, I'm like, I'm Eric Benet. Like, I got a problem. Like, you know what the I mean? Eric reference. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but, but I had to, I had to draw in and realize I'm like, okay, well, that's what it is. That's why I'm so driven in that direction. It wasn't purposeful because my mother raised me to be a respectful young man. I don't mm-hmm. put my hands on women. I never, I mean, anything in that, in that manner, I was always, you know, I, I tried to honor women in the best way that I could because I love my mother, but it was just a trigger because to me, it, it was a reflection. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you're here for. So, you know, let's just, let's just do it. But I could couldn't even figure it out. And again, consistently, they'll tell you that. Right. So and and I and again, I, I think for for all of the things that have happened in my life and for all of the things that I can process everything that everything else. But that I was just like, I acknowledged it. Right. As a book, The Power of Now, they tell you to acknowledge your mm-hmm. feelings, address it, put it away. And that's literally what I did with that. I'm like, that's what happened. I have to address it. 
And let's go, let's let's just move on now. But I, I had to admit it. And it was, you know, you're a man. You, right. You know, I, no woman can do that to me. But it, it happened. And she was, you know, she she threatened me every way possible she could. I'll, I'll tell people that you're this and that and you did this to me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so imagine some young men had been caught in that situation, right. you know, and had had her. And, and I was just coming into my own as an athlete and all those other things. But, you know, it's it's a, it's a lot of that, you know, um, it's it, again, it's just so many things. I was almost a dad at 16, you know, right as I was starting to get recruited and that whole thing with a young lady I was dealing with. You know, she had an abortion, was very, you know, Catholic household. Parents wasn't feeling it. It was just a lot. It was a lot when I was, that's what I said, everything up to 16 might be, you know, might be, I don't want to say worse, but it might be more of a story than right. before that. Right. And so it, it was just, it was, it was crazy. It was a lot going on. And then here I am, right. I'm in the middle of getting recruited and about to leave. And she tells me she's pregnant. We had actually been, I met her shortly after that, um, that whole scenario happened. And it was just, you know, it's it's crazy. Um, it's funny on the way I was I was talking to my mother today, and she actually still keeps in touch with her, but she actually mm -hmm. saw the young lady today. But yeah, so it is my life could be completely different. Way different. So did you you told your your parents about this pregnancy when it happened? My mother told me. Really? My mother How did one, that my, go my down? My mother's the one that told me. Um I was in the house and she came home and her her and the young lady are really close. And she was like, Do you know? I said, No. <laughs> I'm like, how do you know before me? And yeah, so my mother told me and I reached out to her. I'm like, is this true? And, you know, my boys tried to hit me with the, nah, it ain't yours. Mm -hmm. We've seen her with whoever. And I ran with that for a while because it was the cool thing to do. And I was like, she was like, no, it's yours. And she was like, I can't. She's like, I don't want to keep it. Whatever. She was old. She's she's older. She was older than me. Um, she might be four years older than me, but she was like, I, I don't want to keep it or whatever. And her parents had a fit. So you were 16. Yeah. And well, I was 15 you when were, we met. You were 15 we when met you at met. A party out DJ. Yeah, she's and, 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was it was a mess. So the whole thing was crazy. No one, you know, no one stressed her. No one said do it. But she was just like it was something that she wanted to do. But yeah, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, I dodged a bullet, right? Um, and then you know, even going back before that, um, my sister had my nephew who would be. I don't know, Christopher would probably be 25 now, but he passed. He was born prematurely. Mm -hmm. um, and that was an experience because my parents were all at the hospital and I was too young to go. So that was the whole thing. So it was, it was just so many different things, man. With, with my sister being out of the house, the relationship with me and my dad, we were moving from pillar to post. We didn't know where my sister was. You know, my niece comes along at some point. Um, and then it just created this whole dynamic. You know, so when I actually got away, you know, everybody's like, why are you going so far away from home? And again, it's one of the things you don't think about. But right. I got to get out of here. <laughs> it was just too much happening. Um, and then I can't, I ended up coming right back. But, you know, it was just one of those things where there was so, again, there's so much to unpack, right, and, and to look at. But all of those things kind of shaped what happened after, right? So the second half right. of my, you know, my 32 years up until, you know, um, everything just came, you know, crashing down as we discussed. So housing instability, poverty, violence in the home, even if it wasn't between your parents yeah. by way of your sister's boyfriend, loss, sexual assault, staring down the barrel of fatherhood. Yeah. And then this this child's mother making another decision. Mm -hmm. Right. By the time you got to school, you were literally and figuratively running for your life at that 100%. point. 
I was running. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the, and the funny thing was, I don't, it, while all of this was, was happening, I was very driven on the track and to have goals and get things done. And again, I, I couldn't, you know, I told a story about being 16 and wanted to be an Olympian and all that, but yeah, it was like, I just, it was, it, I, it was just coming from within that inherent desire for a new environment mm-hmm. um, and to, and to get out of it. And as we discussed, right, just, we, I need to change this. I need to be the one, you know, to change it. Um, and it was, you know, it was tough. It was, it was really tough. It was, it was a lot that, again, I sit and I think now that my life could have been totally different. So when I literally got to college, and I say this all the time, I think there needs to be a force field around mm-hmm. first-time college students. A force field. Absolutely. A literal force field, like an impenetrable force, right? Um, and even, again, even those who were first in the family, you know, high school graduates, I think because it, I just, I was just so out of my realm. I was like, right. this is not normal. None of it made sense, right? And and I, again, having access to so much, so much freedom or whatever, it was, I was destined to fail. Just was. Right. Um, and, and, not, and not make it. And I still have the letter that the track coach wrote me. And it's in bad shape now. It's going, you know, it's only 20 years old. But he said... Tyrone, if you don't do anything else, he goes, finish, just finish, right? Because this is going to change your life if you get your degree. Um, and it did. And 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 that's the thing that I, I tell all my mentees, mm-hmm. forget, the, forget about the degree or what job you're going to get or whatever. Exposure, me being exposed to certain things by continuing to be in school, right? a professor, said, hey, you should probably work on Wall Street, right? My parents putting me in that school, I meet the track coach who changed my life, right? Um, Me being, you know, at Georgia Tech and meeting some of the people that I met there who are lifelong friends and allowed me to piece certain things together. So all of the pieces started to come together and, you know, here I am. But it's it's one of those things where I just tell them is sometimes you just got to get through that those sticking points because as you were, as you alluded to they those experiences experiences just kind of shape where you're going right you know so this is actually a perfect segue because you know just talking about your childhood and um this this whole concept of a force field this is a preliminary question to one of the questions that yeah. someone asked what do we do like our our generation who has been exposed and have sort of had the stumbling blocks, but also have reached a modicum of, of success that our parents may not have seen. How do we reach back and start to create that force field that we might not have had at the time? I, could, I, I mean, that, that's such a, such a nuanced question, mm-hmm. but I will, I will put it from the perspective of what I do. So it's twofold. I have a barbell approach. I try and get into as many schools as possible. So young black and brown boys and girls could see me and know what I do and how I got there. It was not a straight line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably come from similar situations. This is how I ended up there. The other thing is, is this, and, and especially for brothers who are listening. I remember, again, I've been, I've been mentoring youth and been involved with youth since I was 20 something years old, I'll say 24. And I recently had a frustrating situation in the because I was, um, which we didn't talk about for out for two years. I was a member of the 100 Black Men in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and I spoke to a gentleman who was a member of the 100 in Missouri, wherever he is. And he called, and he could hear my frustration. And he said, "Young brother, let me explain something to you." He said, "I've been doing this as long as you've been alive." He said, "You can get frustrated at these young men 
but it's fruitless because we didn't put nothing in them. Wow. And I'm like, the light bulb came on. I'm like, we're not putting nothing in them. So for me, I try and reach personally to get as many young men around me so that they learn from me. And I've all, and and one of the things that we didn't talk about before is that I put myself through graduate school as a juvenile probation officer. Mm-hmm. So I had a caseload of 40 of the worst kids that you could possibly ask for. And I loved every last one of them. And I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the judicial system. I learned a lot about mentoring and the communities that our kids come from, right? Right. So if a kid is out on the street on the block all night, hustling and gangbanging, and you go into the homes and see his mother in a bed covered in roaches, right? Wow. And the, the house is completely littered with trash and everything. You get it. Right. I want to be outside. I can't be in here, right? So seeing these things just kind of changed me. And then I realized that, all right, this is why they're acting that way. So mm-hmm. I think what we need to do is, again, our best and brightest, me, you, everyone who's listening, who who have been blessed enough to be exposed, we have to start just reaching. Because if we try and get 10 people or 15 people, I try and do it. I have very successful men of color with my friends. They're like, dude, I'll give money. Right. I can't give my time. We will write a check in a minute as opposed to giving our time. But we got to give our time, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's, I, you know, my mentees will tell you, they'll call me whenever, I was just with one of them the other night at the Drake concert, right? Um, I wanted, again, exposure, mm-hmm. right? We he, I was like, look, just watch what happens, right? We're not going to do what everybody else do. We went to the artist will call. We, mm-hmm. got we got the whole, he got the whole experience, right? Another one of my, you know, mentees as well had that same experience with J. Cole. Like, this is, create that experience for them. And then you say, you know how you get that, right? You want to be out there or you want to be in here? That's how you get in here, right? Discipline, dedication, perseverance, hard work, integrity, honesty, um, and and being diligent. And I beat them up, but I, I think that's the, that's the you know to to stay on it. But so I just think you know whether it's a cousin or a brother or whoever, start small, and I think that that'll start to project out because I think now, as I said, we move into our abundance as a people. We're going to have the the numbers to be able to go get our own. Absolutely, and we gotta go get them. Absolutely. And a related question that a listener asked is, how can we change the investment space to make sure all young people know it's an option? That's my sole purpose mm-hmm. with what I do. I try and let everyone know that, you know, and you can't, people can't see me right now, but I'm holding up an iPhone. In 2007, the financial services industry changed forever because of what I'm holding in my mm-hmm. hand. You are holding your financial advisor, your personal banker, your accountant, everything in your hand. It's extremely accessible. There has never been, and if forget everything that I said in the last episode or what I said previously, what I'm about to say is probably the most important thing I am about to say. There has never been in our history a better time to become an investor. It has never been cheaper. Mm-hmm. It has never been more accessible, right? It's never been faster and it's never been more inclusive. It used to be an exclusive bunch of people who had access to all of the things that you can open your phone and do. And here's how I'm going to prove my point. Everyone that gets an iPhone and they download apps. You want to know what the one app is that's preloaded on your iPhone that no one uses? Give it to us. The stock market app. You are right. It's on there for a reason, but people completely ignore it. I have a friend of mine who manages, I don't know how many millions of dollars that I was just with in San Diego. And I was showing him all these cool financial apps I got. You know where he goes to check the market? The stock market app on his iPhone. So if it's good enough for him, I'm assuming it's good enough for everybody listening. But again, I just think we need people like myself, more people in financial services to let people know it's there. You're just ignoring it, right? There's two types of ignorance. Ignorance knowing and I don't care. Or ignorance, just I'm just oblivious to it. 
you got to let me know. Yeah, turn the light on for me. So I think that's one of the things that we need to do. And that's my sole purpose. And I, and I always tell people when I go places and, and I do things, I don't want to, if I'm, it, the first thing that most financial professionals do is push jargon. Because if I push right. jargon, I prove that I'm smarter than you. I know what you don't. Right. Now to you, I'm solidifying my value if I tell you it's going to cost you X. But if I break it down for you, simple terms, that matters. Because now we're on the same level, you know, playing field. You feel like, okay, he's not trying to talk over my head. That's where I think my background comes into play here is because those, I try and make it easy and, and make it bite-sized for people to get, right? And I just, again, as I said previously, if someone would have did that for my parents, who knows what that would have done for us from a lifestyle standpoint. Right. I think you raised one of two issues that I see when people really want to create wealth and, you know, get started in the right direction. That initial hurdle hurdle is feeling overwhelmed because the language and the vocabulary that is used, if, if you don't speak, if you don't speak it. Yep. You're like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know where to start. Right? The, right. the hurdle seems too great to even get going in the right direction. So what's the first thing? Right. So people are people are like, OK, I have the, the stock market app. I don't know how to read this. What's the first thing that people should do if they want to create some kind of investment portfolio after making sure they have, they have the app on the, on the phone? <laughs> Great question. Mm. Um, I think first thing you should do is if you have a job. You probably have a 401k. Right. You should get your 401k allocated properly and you should talk to an investment professional to do that. I do it for all of my clients, no matter how much money, no matter how long they've been investing. We go and you look at their 401k. Every single one will tell you. I ask them about it all the time because a lot of people, one, they're not contributing. Right. Two, the investment mix is all messed up because they don't again, they don't understand it. And two, the, the, unfortunately, they make 401k so complicated. Mm -hmm. All of the choices. What is this fund? Small cap, mid cap, large cap. No one knows what that means. So I think that's where you should start. Start with your 401k and try and reach out to someone that can help you. And that will help you for free initially just to do right. that. So and again, easy to say, not easy to do because a lot of people don't know a financial professional. But I think, again, between Google, between YouTube, there's a lot of videos out there that people can um, can watch. But and again, as I said, I'm more than willing to help people get set up. And there's a site called Investopedia. Mm -hmm. Great site. You can you can type in whatever and it gives you, you know, a background of what a mutual fund is or what an ETF is or what a stock is. So that's a really good place to start. I always direct people there um, and then, you know, just kind of start to understand the lingo and have questions. That's right. the best part. Come with questions to to someone. Maybe it's your accountant. Maybe it's somebody you know that works at a financial institution, a bank, but just ask. Because if you don't, then it's it's you won't know where to start, right? And there's so many tools now that make it that make it easier once you know, but you have to know they're out there to go to go use them. Absolutely. And then, you know, just leading right into the second issue that I see, especially within black communities, is just a general lack of trust. Oh yeah. Right. So they put they consider, the you know, a lot of, I know people who still don't trust banks, like literally put it under the mattress, right? right? So and some people may hear this right. and and think, what? But no, I know people who do not use banks right. to this day. But when you start talking about a financial professional and if it's in a space that you don't understand, people feel like, do I want to turn my money over to this person? Are they a snake oil sales salesman? Are right. they trying to get over on me? What are these fees? You right. know, all of those things. So obviously we want people to call you and right. start setting up consults. But generally speaking, what should a new investor or someone who's just starting on this journey look out for? How do you identify a good financial consultant? Great. Great, 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 great question. Phenomenal question. If your financial advisor, financial planner, 
or whatever is not a fiduciary, you probably should find another advisor. What is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is an individual that is trusted with your assets, that their sole responsibility is to put your best interests before theirs. A true fiduciary will never sell you an annuity if you're 20-something years mm -hmm. old. A true fiduciary will never push a whole life insurance on you. A, a fiduciary will never say buy a thousand shares of whatever. That's not what fiduciaries do. Now, are there good financial advisors who aren't? Sure, because I was one. But you want to make sure they at least have that, right? Because that means that they're, they're basically going to sit on the same side of the table as you. But more importantly, outside of any certification, outside of any uh, school they may have went to or degrees they have, someone you trust. That's really what it comes down to. If you could trust a person, that's really all it comes mm -hmm. down to, right? And that's why when you asked previously, is there anything that you want to push or market? No. I just right. need people to trust me. If they trust me, I'll get business every day and twice on Sunday. I don't, I, I, I that's what, because that's what's so important, trust and integrity. And I think if you ask my clients, what makes me great is that they know that they can trust me. Mm -hmm. I always, I always tell them it's your money. I'm just helping you. So if you, if I say you probably should do this and they say no, that's fine. But I told you, right. I documented it. And this is the decision that you made. I don't force anybody to do anything. So I think find someone that you trust. And here's the thing. And, and this is what I always say to people. Look at your inner circle. You may not know a financial professional, but people go on Facebook and ask for everything. Everything. I need a salon. <laughs> I need a babysitter. A handy I man. Need this. Yeah. Ask people if they know a financial advisor that they trust, that they work with, that they know. Right. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. But before you get a financial advisor, we are probably last in the line of people who you should have. You should have an accountant first. Mm -hmm. Should have an accountant first. Not the good um, lady at the church who do taxes, <laughs> tax preparation every third Sunday. You know what I mean? In the church basement. Why did you have to call out the yeah. church sister? Yeah. No. <laughs> or not your cousin who took one accountant class and now she got a salon. Not her either. An accountant, a CPA, right? A very good CPA is better than the best friend. And I always ask clients after I ask them, what is your relationship with money? The next question is, are you up to date on your taxes? Mm hmm. Right. And that's really important. Oh, yeah. No, we are. Who does? My wife. She went to Harvard. That's great. Right? <laughs> she was an anthropology major. She doesn't do taxes. Right. So get a good accountant. Once you get a good accountant, then if you work and then you have a financial advisor, now you come to me, I can go to your client and then I'm helping you do whatever it is that you need to do. You can run your practice. You can you do whatever right. it is you need to do. And then if you have financial financial questions, we're fighting for you in the background to get all of that Absolutely. stuff straight, right? And the other one is probably, you know, a trust in the state attorney, but that's a whole other story. Right. And let me just interject here. Stop just taking your 1099 or your W-2 and going to H&R Block. Please. And thinking that is the only option, Please. okay? You, you, it, 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 I know it's quick. It's immediate gratification, but an accountant is crucial. I push yeah. this all the time and I people do. are like, oh, you just say that because you've been an entrepreneur. Here's the other thing people don't know. And I'm not sure what the number is now, but I want to say it's 40,000 or maybe it's 35. I believe that if you, if that's the case, you can still go to the IRS and they'll do it for free. The IRS will do your mm -hmm. taxes for you. Go see them people because you ain't got to worry. You'll right. see well knowing y'all did it. So if you messed up, right, that's on Susie in aisle four. 
<laughs> it messed up. Exactly. <laughs> messed up my tax return. Yeah. And another thing that people may not know is that the IRS is back on their compliance research audit. So what that means is they can randomly select your tax return and go on a fishing expedition until they find something wrong with it. Talk about it. So I know because I was randomly selected, but I have a good accountant. Yeah, so I'm, right. I'm in good shape. There you go. However, you go. and especially for folks who have a side hustle that's yeah. on a Schedule C on their, their personal taxes, yeah. they right. say it's all random. See. Listen, oh, no. I'm an entrepreneurial yeah. lawyer, yeah. right? <laughs> so, but they say it's random, but trust and believe the more sources of income that you have on that one document, <laughs> yeah. the higher the likelihood that they're going to start sniffing around. It doesn't mean you, that you did anything wrong. Yeah. They just say you were randomly selected and now we're going to comb through all of your documents and they will ask you for everything. everything. Yeah, Take really. it from someone who knows, but I'm, I'm chilling because okay. I have a great accountant. Yeah. So I would encourage folks, especially those who, you know, have the resources to do so, Tyrone's put out a great piece of advice and going to the IRS. I didn't even know that was yeah, possible. Yeah. But if you're making more money, invest in yourself. 100%. Invest. Get a good CPA. Better than best friends. Way I, better. I mean, really. Way Because I, I talk to my, my accountant yeah. all the time. time. They're worth so, it. Absolutely. Um, so I just had to plug that. I'm yeah, sorry. no, do you But think, anyway, do you think? see, I know, I know a little bit. <laughs> I, I know a little bit. Do you think? Um, okay, so let's let's dig into the rest of these yeah, questions. Uh, let's see. Let's go here. No pun intended, but how do you keep running when you failed five times? How do you keep going? Emotionless. Um, I, I, I just don't feel the pain anymore. So anybody that tells you, <laughs> that trains with me now, they'll tell you, I just, I just go until, you know, so I think, one of the things for me is I told myself and I actually so in my, I have a book at home. I have every single workout I've ever done for mm -hmm. the last 16 years, every single thing. And I and I go back and sometimes you can see the tears on the pages and all that. In 2012, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this no more. Just I'm like, I'm, I'm absolutely I just I'm exhausted. And I was like, I really thought I was done. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I, I can't even put words on it. But running to me is just it, when when life gets heavy, I run. Right. And that's why I still compete. And, and I, I do it now so people understand that, yeah, the dream is gone. Mm -hmm. Right. But your reality, you can still live it and you can still impact people and you can still encourage people through that. It could still be a vessel for change. Maybe not for you, but it could be a vessel for change for other people. Um, and that's it. So it's just I, I'm just it, I love I love running. Right. I mm -hmm. love training. I love working out. So that makes it easy. But there are times when, again, I know 2020 is going to be it's going to be tough for me and I'm trying to prepare myself for it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where now it's just so it's so it's a, it's in my DNA. It's part of who I am now. So, you know, when I do have a son or a daughter at some point, I'm going to put Mondo track in their uh, crib. <laughs> They're going to get track early. <laughs> you know, we had the old school Nintendo track and field, like, yeah. you know, run yep, pad back hurdle, in the yep, day. Running pad, yeah. But let me challenge you a little bit, because you said that you don't feel the pain anymore. Is it that you don't feel it or you've learned to suppress it to get Great through question. the day to day? Great question. I guess I suppress it because mm -hmm. I have days where I break down mm -hmm. um, and it, it gets it gets a bit heavy. Because I realize that I've given, I've started to give it away. So tomorrow when I go to work out, there'll probably be 10 to 15 people there to just know that I'm out there training because I've offered it up when mm -hmm. it used to be a quiet time. Even in the mornings now, I used to train by myself and my boy Danny it used to be me and him. But now there's so many people there. So I, I, it, it gets heavy sometimes and I got to get away from it. I was like, I just got to go do it by myself. So when I, I guess when just to clarify, I guess when I say I'm emotionless, I, I guess I, I'm kind of the numbness is suppression. Right. I just okay, kind of put, got it. I'm packing it away and still doing it feels like it's something that is 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 keeping me alive. Right. Um, and then 
by doing that, again, it, I haven't figured it out yet, but I think with me still competing and still training that there's a, and something's going to come out of that. I don't know what, but just keep pushing till I see. Understood. Okay, next question. You mentioned things being cathartic, but have you ever thought about going to therapy? Never. Why not? Um, I don't know. This may seem somewhat controversial, and I know people are going to beat me up about it, but I'm not a big therapy guy. I just... <laughs> I don't know. And and I don't and I don't I'm not saying it's not a good thing. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't go. I'm just saying it's not for me. Mm -hmm. I just because the thing was and may it's funny when I I was struggling in a relationship with a young lady and she suggested it and I was pissed. I'm like and I realized half of it was, you know, my mother being raised, you know, in a very religious household. Mm -hmm. You know, know, that's that's the devil. (laughs) It's a demon. Pray it away. But the other part was, I'm like, what? you know, it's just, it's an ego thing. Mm-hmm. So once everything had happened and everyone asked, like, how did you make it through that without therapy? I just, I kind of felt like, and this is, and, and again, if you need that aid, great. But for me, I just felt like I had to, I had no choice. I had to draw in, right? And and I felt like as long as I was, I really sequestered myself and worked on what was wrong, I would be all right. Now, with that said, I do feel like if I didn't make any if I didn't make any progress, I probably would have been like, okay, I need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. But and I and again, for people who need that, I definitely believe it. But as things stand right now, I don't I don't think I don't think I would do it. Um, But again, if if it starts to if I see it still manifesting itself in certain ways, like if 10 years from now, I'm still struggling with certain things because of my dream not happening. Right. I feel like, I, you know, I have a family now and I'm still because that's the one thing I'm fearful of. Mm-hmm. I don't want to start a family and I'm still like, you know, the uncle at the at the barbecue. I could have been. A, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. So if I'm that guy, like, oh, you got to go to therapy, bro. But no, I, I just I kind of worked through it on my own. And, and again, I have the cheat code. It was just me. I didn't have other other responsibilities. But I do think if I had a family, again, if I had a wife, I would owe that to my family to go and get that right. But because I was by myself, I could just, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. We are proponents of therapy on this show. I I think I've been to therapy. um, But I'll say that all therapists are not created equal. That's first and foremost. There are a lot of bad therapists out there, just like there are bad financial advisors and bad bad attorneys, right? Um, But... For our community, I also understand why people are resistant to it, because when you tell people you're going to therapy, they're like, quote, what's wrong with you? Right, right, right. right. Crazy. You know, are you manic depressive? Are you bipolar? Um, And not realizing that a lot of people need a safe space to unpack whatever it is that they have experienced or what they're dealing with. And I always encourage people. I'm not someone who says, oh, everyone should go to therapy. But I always encourage people to look at triggers, look at how they feel in their body, how they feel emotional on a consistent basis. Are you driven to anger very easily? Are you sad at period of times? Is your productivity low? Um, When you're in relationships, are things coming up that trigger you to behave in a way that you don't want to behave in? So I I think it's about just being self-aware and knowing what you need and, and when. And who knows? A woman might come in your life and call something up where you're like... Maybe I do need to revisit that. Yeah, or maybe absolutely. not, right? Like marriage counseling. Yeah, exactly. I ain't doing that either. But that's Wait, hold I'm, on. I'm not doing marriage counseling. I, nope. Are you serious? 100% not doing it. What? You, you just we, went left on this. <laughs> okay, yeah, explain so, to me like, why. Explain to me why. If you have to go to marriage counseling before you're actually married, see, that's kind of how what people are like, I'm, I'm definitely pro-prenup. 
mm-hmm. right? Me and too. Like, well, you're basically, you know, dooming the marriage before it starts. Like, no, that's an agreement, right? It can't happen without both parties agreeing, but that's a whole other story. But the marriage counseling thing, I'm just like, what What do you, what? and listen, I, I understand it, but for me, I'm just like, I feel that if if I say I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, mm-hmm. you, you agree you want to spend the rest of your life with me. At some point, we should tear we should tear everything down, sit in a room, lock the door, right, and let's lay it all out. How much student loan debt you got, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna give you mine. We're gonna talk about it. We get it all out. I think that's something that you resolve as. A couple, you get it all out. And I think what happens is, what whether it's a man dragging a woman or a woman dragging a man, I think they drag each other to that because there's something that they can't get out or there's a struggle in a relationship or whatever, and then they're trying to find some resolution to keep it at peace. I've also been told that you do it as part of a preparation. Some some officiants require it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic, right? And I think that's that's probably a thing. But for me, I was I was like, I I would opt out. Now, if I meet the woman of my dreams, she's like, we gotta do it, I'll go. But I'm gonna definitely be in there like when is this over? <laughs> Oh, Tyrone. I know. I'm going to get killed My for that one. My phone is going to be blowing up <laughs> I'm, I'm when this episode it. comes out. But for those who do it, yeah, absolutely. I, I fully support it and everything. It's just, I, I'm not, I'm out. I'm opting out. Time's, time's going to tell for you, yeah, whether you, you, you remain in this position yeah. at some point. In the <laughs> I'm opting out. <laughs> oh, boy. You're going to get more responses know, from that I than know. the Waffle House no, and... No, <laughs> Do your wedding counseling, people. It's important. Absolutely. Have a very strong marriage. Get it all out with the pastor. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor. It could be a licensed psychotherapist who is... Yeah, they're marriage and family therapists. Absolutely. See, you have to stop seeing everything through the lens of church. Right. Okay? Now the church folks are going to get mad at me for saying that. Yeah, exactly. So we discovered, sidebar, Tyrone and I discovered that we know some of the same people because we belong to the same church denomination as kids. Yeah. I know the church he grew up in, spent a lot of time there. Um, So I know where a lot of this is coming. Coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's what. Yeah, I guess. But my mother would say it. She'd be like, "Yeah, you need to do it." So yes. So it's it, it. You know, it's not just pastoral counseling because there are a lot of pastors out there counseling who shouldn't be right. Yeah. Um, so there's people who actually get married and yeah. go to like wow marriage and like a licensed marriage wow. and family counselor. So who pays for that? Is that like do you split? You, I think some people split it. I know on your last episode, you kind of <laughs> went in on dudes who ain't making money. <laughs> I no, first of all, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just want to. Drag, I couldn't wait to drag you on that. So, so yeah. So Tyrone texted me also while while he was listening to episode 31 and my comments about related to whether the household should be 50 50. Ladies, <laughs> hear me, please. Okay, black women, you are the most highly educated class of people on earth. Shout out to us. You are super successful. You have businesses. You have multiple degrees. You graduated twice the rate as as black men. All of these things. However, I will ask you all to have a bit of patience with brothers. Just a little bit of patience. Also, when y'all have the sister circle and y'all got the rosé and the cabernets (laughs) and and all them other things and y'all tearing us down, right? Understand this, and I and I don't. I'm not gonna get into the whole systemic and this, that, or whatever. I think the what I've again, what I've experienced personally, what I've talked about with my friends. I think what there needs to be, right? Because you guys are in a position of power, negotiating mm-hmm. power, right? You're making money, lawyer, right? Stuff, right? You you highly educated, right. you're a lawyer, whatever. So I think here's the thing: men will be okay with your position if 
you kind of lighten the load a bit, not in terms of your finance, because I'm old school. I believe that a man should handle it all. Okay. Right. So handle a home. Right. If you spend all your 40,000 a year handling the home and then y'all go to Ibiza with her 250,000, so be it. (laughs) But but use yours to cover the expenses. That's just me. I'm old school in that regard. I just feel like a man should do that. Whatever. If you want to share it, that's your business. But just to me, I just feel like that's that's the way I was raised. I saw my dad do that. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's the right thing to do. You take care of your woman. But when I say lighten the load, I mean this, right? I'm in a, I'm in a profession where I'm again, got kind of got the cheat code. I meet successful, really wealthy women all the time. Mm -hmm. And y'all, it's a, it's a, it's a badge. It's it's a pride. I get it. But I think what happens is the dude who delivers the FedEx package at your law firm, that's probably a really good dude, Mm -hmm. right? And he may be making 70,000 with working a hundred hours a week. Right. Right. So I think if you, if you approach him as a man first and get to know him and say, I'm a, t- I'm a, I'm not going to wear mine. I'm not going to wear, you don't wear yours. We're just going to meet each other where we are mm-hmm. right in our lives. I think it makes it easier than to have that conversation of, all right, well, you met me at a certain, and a lot of times, I know, I know it's tough if you're out somewhere, right? You're Dumbo, Soho house or something, and you don't know what someone actually does. But I think in my experience, I think if you just kind of put all that aside and get to know the person and say, okay, I'm actually dealing with a really good man here, right? And you don't have to fight over the bill and all these other things. Just genuinely give him a chance to be a good man. And in the minute he shows himself not to be, you skedaddle. Mm -hmm. But I think what you guys underestimate is that the pressure that you put men under, because they know, right? (laughs) They just know. So it's a lot of pressure. Even for men who are successful and meet successful women, it's a lot of pressure. Absolutely. So I think if y'all just, you know, they'll figure it out. But we just, we are behind. And I think more of us need to pull each other up so we can meet you guys where you are. But I just, I feel like, again, speaking from experiences, hearing some of my friends and things that, you know, conversations that we have too, I just think if if everyone just kind of steps away from the fact of income and jobs and this, that, whatever, and truly just get back to courting each other mm-hmm. and getting to know one another, I think when those things do become, you know, uh, an issue, because all right, well, I, I, I got to have a man who can match me and do, all right, well, you're pricing yourself out of the market. How many men are like that? If right. You, if you're strictly going to limit yourself to black men. Now, isn't that what I said in the last episode? Yeah. But you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, but if you're going to stay in that pool, then, yeah, you, you kind of limited yourself a bit. But, you know. OK, L- let me just counter here a little bit. All right. Duly noted on everything that you said. And, but, but I hear this a lot mm-hmm. on television and books. There's so many books written about how women should date men. You know, act like a lady, think like a man. You know, there's this one, there's that one. OK, but you don't see a lot of that the other way, like how to love a successful black woman. Right. 100%. So, you know, while I agree that we have to extend patience and sort of take off the lens through which we see other people, I want to ask you and the brothers to do the same. Right. To see us outside of who we might be in the office or out in the world. And it doesn't mean that we're able to shed that right away, because that's when you function that way, for, you know, hours and hours on end um, every week. And you may have been single for a really long time or now talking back to childhood and drama. Many of us have gr- grown up watching very strong women, especially in, in black households where women had to do it all, right. you know, because there were things going on with the marriage or, you know, a father wasn't in the house or or, or what have you. So 
that is often our default position. Like I, I, I can do it all. I know how to do it all. And it may take us a minute to find our rhythm as well and allowing a man to step up and show us that he can do it on us and, you know, be the man. So I would just say the same patience has got to go both ways no, because, right, you get into a situation and I've, I've been in the situation where something has come up, something with my car or my home and um, I got I to gotta get it fixed. You now, can't fix it? Not, no, not even that. Oh. But who I am as a woman, I'm a problem solver. Okay. I, I solve problems all day for a living. That's what y'all so, do. Well, God don't know he asked y'all. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this, you know, wiring is off or my smoke detector is going crazy. Okay. So what are you saying? And I get it done oh. just without even mentioning oh, it because even, I'm okay. so used to doing yeah, that. Right. And then a man might come along and say, so you don't know how to let somebody just be a man. Well, help me. Right. Uh, and be patient with me until I, I can create the space for you to receive that. So. Okay. I think a lot of times we're, we're both both parties, both genders are pointing each way. Yeah. But we both have to extend a little bit of grace. Agreed. And, 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 and we are we are we are behind. Mm-hmm. And again, I think and that's not to say that we men shouldn't be let off the hook. I think black men have to do a better job. One hundred percent. And I, I speak to my youngsters about that, too, because I'm letting them know. I'm, and I tell them these young girls out here kicking your butt. Right. I, I got mean, some young, <laughs> Some young ladies who are clients of mine and they are killing it. No debt, you know, high six figures. And these dudes struggling to keep a job at, you know, uh, the the local 24-hour fitness. I'm like, this is a problem, right? Because you're not applying yourself to a trade. It doesn't right. necessarily have to be school or trade or something. So we definitely have to to pull our own weight. 100%. But I think what what's again what's what gets lost sometimes is that there's really 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 good men who work really hard mm-hmm. and they're not going to do more than 50,000 a year. You're absolutely and right. They deserve a Delisha. Right. Now, why'd you have to put my name I'm on it? I'm just saying, <laughs> or Tanisha, Taniqua, <laughs> Latasha, whoever, they just do, you know, and they deserve that. And they just, they may need somebody to, to, to help them a bit and, and kind of pull them up. But, you know, so... I, I think that's I think that's important. Just give him a shot. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Just give him a shot. But the I, <laughs> shot. I'm gonna get off the this greeter subject. at Walmart. You know? Did you say the greet? Yeah. So you're saying a woman who makes a quarter of a million dollars has all of her ducks in a row. That must help. She, she yeah, you did. Um, she needs to consider or should consider the nice greeter at Walmart. If he's a handsome man and he shows himself to have some ambition, he's, you know, it might be a side hustle. Might not be. He might want to be a manager at Walmart. He might end up the CEO and they like the CEO UPS. Right. He right. I was a package handler. And I don't have a strong opinion on this one way or the other. But I just I wanted so. your, your, your answer I, I there. So. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I mean, just give him a shot. I know because, again, it's, y'all, the pool y'all want to, you know, fish in is, is very small. So open it up. That's all. Okay. And and I would say that because the thing is, I met I, you know I meet these finance types, and you know they're super egotistical, and you know so you meet men who have what you want, and then all of a sudden they're jerks. Did you just admit that all finance types I are didn't egotistical? Say that. I'm telling you what I'm told. <laughs> Nicest guys you'll ever meet are in finance. Wow, that is a strong <laughs> statement, and nice, I'm gonna leave it right where nice it's at, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> moving, moving right along. Okay, how do you manage work-life balance? Um, acknowledging that it's not a balance. Um, I think you try, you try to keep things um, in perspective. There's days where work is just going to dominate. And there's days where your self-care is going to have to dominate. Mm-hmm. So for me, again, cheat code. I don't have a family. I'm not married. But 
I think one of the things that you need to do is you need to, so you, I just think you need to be prioritized. There's a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, it's a book that I think everyone should read. And I think, you know, just, just having a certain principles that you live your life by and just repetition and habits allows you to realize, okay, well, I'm traveling into the city all day for meetings. I probably, if I'm trying to be on a diet, should pack some carrot sticks or do mm -hmm. whatever else. Um, if I'm lacking in, you know, sleep because of that on the weekends, you'll stay in, you'll get your sleep, you'll read, you'll get your workout in or whatever, and just create good habits. I think that's the main thing. If you create good habits, then you realize when your life is out of balance, your your habits kind of pull you back to back to center. Absolutely. And I, I sort of have the same philosophy because people are like, how do you accomplish everything that you accomplish? Because some days are just all work. Yeah. And then other days, the productivity might be a little bit lower on work, but my body is saying, hey, you got to pause for a second. Yeah. So I don't think Absolutely. it's 50-50 every single day. It's yeah. a dance for sure. 100%. Okay. So we'll get through a couple more of these questions. Yeah. Let's see. This is a good one. Um, so you said in the interview, the previous one, that you encourage people to maximize work benefits. Mm -hmm. If one decides to negotiate benefits during a job offer, where should they start? Oh, man. Depends on the job, right? Um, I think the number one benefit is salary. So I always Absolutely. more salary. <laughs> Um, and I think the next thing is, again, depending on your job, I think you should try and negotiate for, for equity. Mm -hmm. I always tell people that's where wealth is created, right? Get some type of equity stock options, something like that. Find out if you can access the stock mm -hmm. in your 401k. If you work for a Fortune 500 company or a public company, can I access the, for, the stock in my 401k if you're not going to be given that as part of a bonus or something else? So I think those are, those are the big ones. De definitely try and make as much money as you can. And I think that's one one of the things as far as financial advice that's just so overlooked and not said mm -hmm. enough, try and make more money, people. Right. Just try and make more money. Now, with that said, it could be residual income. We can get into that. But sometimes you just need to tell people you need to make more money because if you make more money, money is going to give you the freedom to save more. Absolutely. Right? All these, these other things. But I just think it's OK to say make more money. Right. But also showing people how. Right. Right. So it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. So um, being, you know, negotiating a salary, negotiating for, for equity, right, getting some type of stock. Um, and then also I was given this advice a long time ago. The first day you start is the first day you start planning your exit. Right. Of what the next move is. Start I love a five that. Your plan. Right. And, and start to, you know, start to negotiate you know, with them in terms of asking, hey, you know, what is the time frame of getting promoted, right? What does that look like, right? What is the trajectory over the next, you know, three to five years if I'm in this role? Mm -hmm. And people just kind of take a job and just run with it, which is fine. Right. But I think, you know, if you're looking for more, then you got to ask for more. Closed mouth don't get fed, as they say, right? This is true. So, and yeah. people often wait until they're just so done with the job and ready to you know, walk out. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they wait until then to make a move. And usually it's impu an impulsive one yeah. as opposed to strategizing that exit so that it's a smooth one and one that puts you on an upward trajectory Yeah, as opposed from jumping to from the frying pan to the fire, which happens a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, okay. Um, so since we're on the money subject, people really latched on to the $4,000 suits too yeah. in, the, in the interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I know. A lot that of was people a, like, yes. That was another big discussion point. So one of the questions that came out of that mm -hmm. is, how do you decide which areas to splurge in and which areas to be more frugal in? Oh, very good question. So I don't have a television. I don't have cable. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an area where I kind of I cut back. I don't drink. 
I don't go out and do all those things. So I kind of find areas in my life to kind of tighten it up. And I want to be very clear, right? I don't have a closet full of $4,000, right? right? It's a splurge. I have a few, but, and, you know, I get all of my my suits tailored now, but that's at the high end. But um, I think for me, I had to just acknowledge where I like to spend money. And I was just being honest with myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I really like spending money on clothes and nice things. So where am I going to cut back? Um, and I just kind of I look at I look every every other part of my life, to be honest, I'm probably very, you know, cost conscious. Yes. Um, but I allow myself that. So I just think everyone should allow themselves one area where mm -hmm. they're just going. I'm never going to cut cost in this area. Mm -hmm. I just believe in that. Like there's certain like I'm kind of the same way with food, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm a health nut, what I consume, I don't cut cost on food. Like I just believe in getting the best that I can. Certain things I just don't think you cut cost on. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, um, DeMarcus is smiling right now because that is his philosophy as well. And yeah. people kind of make fun of me because of the way that I eat, but I have a similar yeah. philosophy. I'm just not going to put anything in my belly. That's right, just right. who I am. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, I didn't defend you on the Waffle House thing. I did not defend you on the gynecologist thing, right. but I did defend you on the $4,000 Thank seat. Thank you. Thing. I appreciate okay. it. We all have our areas. I like nice things too. I just believe in quality over quantity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think people just thought, thought you were going out buying $4,000 no, suits no. every month, no, which is no, not necessarily no, the case. No. Um, and Other month, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry. What? You And you have not lived until you've had your clothes tailored. I just want to put that out out there 100 it is it is an amazing experience even if you cannot afford the four thousand a good yeah. tailor yeah a good atelier yeah will make the the lower level item of clothing and, and I look a lot yeah, more expensive. i encourage this to encourage this for men and women get a pair of shoes made mm -hmm. tailored to your feet it is super expensive but it is so worth it because you'll never literally you'll you'll own those shoes for a lifetime and they're literally contoured to your feet they're made literally to the millet you know uh what what word am i looking for right like the, to the inch rather mm -hmm. of of your foot um and they last you forever and you can pass them on and everything resole them so if you find the right place get a pair of shoes at least one pair of shoes that's tailored to your feet amazing great amazing advice story. last listener question yeah how do you drown out the naysayers oh that's a good one and i'm struggling with that now currently that's a really good question um, I think for me, sometimes I just I got to do a social media fast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to say this and, and because it, here's why I'm struggling with that. What I realized during the past week of this episode, the last episode being out, there's some people really close to me that have been that wouldn't share it, that haven't shared mm -hmm. it, that wouldn't comment on it. And I was like, I got to I got to I got to tighten the circle a bit. Everybody mm -hmm. can't go. Um, and there's been some there's been some subs and different things. So I, I, all I could tell people is I think sometimes you just you got to get away from it all. I think we're in a, we're in a society now where we look for feedback constantly. Right. And I just think sometimes you just got to get away from it and draw in. I just there's a the phrase that I that I always say is chop wood, carry water. You just got to chop wood. Right. You look at an oak and you're like, how am I going to get this thing down? But if you put your head down and you keep chopping at that one spot and your hands start to bleed and your elbows ache and you just keep chopping, 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 eventually you're going to hear that mm -hmm. trees falling. You know what's going to happen? You get that adrenaline. You just, right? Same thing with carrying water. It's the same thing. So I just think if you do that, you keep your head down on work or whatever your passion is or whatever you, you know, and just don't listen to people. Right. We, it's just too much feedback. Right. So I just think go on a social media diet, focus on what you're doing, because there's bound to be people who don't 
like what you do. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, and I'm not using, I'm the one of those who use it for fuel, whatever. Just stay true to your purpose. Right. And I, I'm, I am a person who takes a little bit of joy when people don't get it. Yeah. Because that means I'm on to something that everybody doesn't yet understand yet. If you want to blaze a trail, there are going to be people who either speak out against it and criticize it, hate on it just because, ignore it, or literally say to you, I don't get what you're doing. That's when I know I'm on the right track. So I mean, I use it as an indicator yeah. that, you know what, I'm not doing something that everybody else is doing, and that's okay. Yeah, and sometimes the people's close to you. I mean, I remember my father broke my heart. He looked at me and told me, like, you're wasting your time with this Olympics thing. I'm like, wow. Right? I have half your DNA, and this is mm -hmm. what you're telling me. So you just, again, it hurt me, but I'm like, all right, I, I, I got to double down now. Not to prove anybody wrong, but just because, like, this is what I feel. So whatever it is that people want to do, I just think just push in that direction. There's bound to be somebody who doesn't like it. More than likely, it will be family. So, oh, yep, that you know, is true. So just keep going. So what's on the horizon for Tyrone Ross Jr.? Man. Um, so there's some really cool things that, I, that I'm working on. I'm looking to. Um, so for me, what I'm trying to push into and create a lane for is the whole crypto assets. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and crypto investment management and getting and breaking that down for people and making that very simple. So as a traditional financial advisor, we're not in that space. So I'm right. trying to trailblaze there. So I have some really cool things that I'm working on. I have some talks coming up um, next week. If you're in New York City, there's a crypto and cocktails event that I'm um, I'm speaking at. It's in Manhattan. Um, you can go online and find that. So just trying to do different things like that. Um, I've, I've done, um, you know, I have a bunch of podcasts coming up, a bunch of speaking engagements. So I'm just trying to push this narrative um, of really getting folks to understand the basics of cryptocurrency, of, of blockchain. And I hate to use that marketing jargon, but just to understand what this technology is going to mean. Um, and then also early stage startup advising. So there's mm -hmm. not a lot of, of men of color in, in the startup space. So it's trying to push into that arena as well. Um and that's really it. I mean, and and just to grow, you know, our, our business is growing by leaps and bounds, which mm -hmm. is great. What One of the things that I'm excited about right now, and I probably shouldn't announce it, but we're working on something with a, with a bunch of gentlemen in Charlotte, and they're all of color. Nice. And I'm, the, the media rollout I will put around that would be huge every single last one so we're working we're working on something there hopefully that comes to fruition um and and personally i just think is for me as a man now i think one of the things i can't go to my parents house without getting beat up about not having kids and not being married right of course stuff. so I, th I believe in giving things intention and one of the things that i've never gave intention to was finding a wife so I think at some point I need to start looking. So ladies, let me stop. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, so I, I just think that that's a part of my life now. I think that I need to start exploring and I need to at least start like, all right, what am I doing here? Right. Just what am I doing? Because I just think you got to just be like, what am I doing? This is true. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you and I are going to have a continued debate. Yeah. After this podcast episode <laughs> about some of the things you have said on here, I'm going to catch a lot of backlash, too, about not pushing you harder on a couple of points. But, hey, we're on a limited amount of time. <laughs> in any event, yeah. let's run it back where people can find you online. I know we brought it up in the yeah, last episode. Absolutely. But... So to get all of the good nuggets um TR401 on Twitter is where I spend literally all day. Um, Tyrone Ross Jr. on LinkedIn. Follow me there. I do, again, it's a whole different subset of things there. I do a lot more startup-based stuff on LinkedIn, and you can kind of get 
all of my bios there, all the information. Um, and then I'm working on a personal website that I'm, I'm in development now. It's one of the things that I am working on putting that together. But um, and in my Instagram, if you want to see all of the crazy stuff that I read, I do read a lot of books. It's Tyrun, T-Y-R-U-N 401. Um, and then the, you know, the firm is Noble Bridge uh, Wealth Management. If you want to go there and check us out. Um, yeah. Reach out. Like I said, I'm more than willing to answer questions. I'm more than willing to help people, whatever it is that they, you know, and some people already have, which is great. Thanks for reaching out, both for, with kind words. And then also, you know, if they needed some type of help, I'm advice or something, I'm more than willing to help and answer questions always as a resource, um, no matter what. So if you don't, you know, just reach out. Just know that you can reach out. There's someone that'll answer your financial questions and there's someone that'll just answer questions, period. And we had two full episodes and really didn't dig into cryptocurrency at all. So let's promote promote what you've recorded previously because you were on the cryptology podcast, Yeah, it was on the right? cryptology pod. Shout out to uh, to Elgin and Carl. So check me out on the cryptology pod. Um, I have another one that's um, I'm recording soon and that's coming out. Um, but yeah, definitely check out cryptology pod. If you go to, um, again, my LinkedIn page as well and also on my Twitter, you'll see videos that I do and, and other episodes that I've done um, on other people's platforms. Um, but yeah, check out cryptology pod. Those guys are funny. And then like I said, I'm going to start doing some more videos and put up some things where I'm going to get a YouTube channel happening because um, I'm really passionate about the space. And I mm -hmm. think it's something that we need to we need to understand and people need to know because the wealth transfer is on. Absolutely. So, yeah. Again, thank you for the time. Thank you so much for sharing your platform. Thanks this for coming awesome. back on. This yeah. was great. Truly, truly grateful. Thank you for everybody who sent the message and the kind word. It really means a lot to me. Um, and yeah. So, okay. ladies, go ahead and give that feedback on Tyrone's <laughs> social media directly. Don't angry text me when this podcast episode comes out. You have his contact info now. You can reach out to him I with your you, responses. Ladies. To the other listeners, make sure you follow Tyrone on social media. Make sure you follow December 26th. I'm going to get better. I promise. Yes. Uh, December 26th. People. Yes. December 26ER on Instagram and Twitter. We will start tweeting. I promise. Yes. And you can find me. IG DJG Law. I'm super, as I mentioned, super private. So you got a request to follow. Absolutely. Um, and there is a Twitter profile. I'm not, I'm not even gonna mention it. Let's Absolutely. see if people can actually find it. It's under yes. my name. Uh, in any yeah. event, so go out there, follow us, and remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening you for to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.